Welcome to the post first round edition of Unexpected Points. I've crunched the numbers. I figured out who has won and lost trade a palooza of this draft. All of that, the analytical perspective you're expecting here on Unexpected Points. The first round is over. I know I'm coming at you probably a little bit later than some other podcasts that are giving you the, you know, the instant, the instant reacts, the instant reactions. I can do that. Uh, I, I can, I can instantly hot take, I would say with the best of them, but of course, you know, and we're not, I mean, we're not getting on goat level like Stephen A. Smith or someone like that, but with, with some pretty good ones, but I, as a nerd need to, Soak in it a little bit here, compile some data, try to figure out how big in a quantitative manner were some of the values or the reaches of the first round and be able to sort through all of this stuff for you in a comprehensive manner. Plus, you know, I'm doing this solo, so I can't just gather my thoughts maybe as much as some others. I got to have a little bit of prep going into this one. Um, This draft is the draft of the trade, and we've had the year of the trade. So far, we had multiple receivers getting traded during the draft. Receivers who would have been, well, in the case of A.J. Brown, definitely the wide receiver one on the depth chart. Marquise Brown, pretty close to the wide receiver one of the depth chart. I went through and looked at all the different 32 draft picks. Have they moved, not just during the draft? There were nine trades during the draft, so that was big. But had they moved even before the draft? Because we've had so many trades. So 18 of the 32 picks, for those of you who are math challenged, that's more than half of the 32 picks were eventually selected by a team that was not slotted in that position. So in other words, it was traded at some point in time, whether it was traded years ago a couple of years ago as part of an offseason trade, whether it was earlier this offseason or whether it was during the trade itself, 18 of 32. And for context, for reference, last year, 10 of the 32 trades, of the 32 picks had been traded at some point the year before 11. So we've jumped up to 18. You know, again, some, some simple math, 10 to 18, that's an 80% gain in activity in trades there and five picks were traded multiple times so this continued and i think this is the biggest theme of this draft so far which is weird to say because i know we want to get into the player nitty-gritty who won who lost whose favorite guy went what happened with the quarterbacks last night with no one going all that sort of stuff but focusing more and more in on this trade angle is just showing how I don't know if it's a new breed of GM. I don't know if it's a particular type of offseason with, as I called it, irrational exuberance in the wide receiver market. Uh, That's a little hat tip back to Alan Greenspan uh, in the late 90s talking about the stock market with irrational exuberance. And is that what it is? 
you know, kind of godfather offers that teams cannot refuse when it comes to someone like A.J. Brown? I'm not sure. Uh, but something is happening. But I think it's good because there is a – you could call it a risk aversion. But as I've said before, I think it's not necessarily risk aversion that drives a lot of NFL decision-making. It's regret aversion. So it's regretting making these big deals because if you make a big deal and a big trade for a player and they come over and they stink or they don't play up to their capabilities, there's a lot of regret there, clearly. And now maybe because of our Rams, the F them picks, Les Sneed, and our Rams doing so well, there is less of that regret aversion and instead FOMOs starting to kick in across NFL front offices fear of missing out on building that super team to win a championship in an era where perhaps it's necessary in some people's minds to do so for me that is the theme of the 2022 offseason and it continued into this draft with the trades that we saw but before i get into all the details let me just hit you one more time draft 50 50 off a pff elite subscription this is 365 days of of content you're getting with an elite subscription here you still can use the draft guide to analyze all the stuff that's going on here all of our locked article content that's going to be diving into all the different angles here i put out a fantasy uh, football piece on here gauging the opportunity for all these rookie wide receivers that came out in the first round there's some interesting stuff there you can look at all of the different betting tools we're going to have going into this season and of course the grades the analysis the stats all the stuff that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else pff elite subscription 50 percent off right now with code draft 50 that is code draft 50 for 50 percent off a pff annual elite subscription okay so let's get to the trades first because that's what we that's what we got to talk about so aj brown is the biggest deal here by far not the first one to go off the the marquise brown trade went off first so let's get the particulars here of the aj brown deal so aj brown was sent to the eagles from the from the Tennessee Titans for the 18th overall pick. And remember, the Eagles had a couple of picks in the first round. After having three picks in the first round, one of those they traded to the Saints and then rolled that forward into additional capital in in the future. So the 18th pick and the 101, which is a later third round pick. And as part of this deal, it's it's amazing how quickly they were able to negotiate these things, right? Because you can't, you wouldn't want to be tampering. Uh, or negotiating with a player for another team. But as part of this deal, it was agreed to a four-year, $100 million contract that includes $57 million guaranteed. What's a, a little bit interesting angle on on the, the extension, I know you don't want to immediately say it's a $25 million a year contract because of the fact that you are adding it on to his existing contract um, for Brown. But... Brown, as a second round pick, you know, does not have that fifth year option. So we're talking about when this money is going to kick in, 
when this four-year extension is going to kick in. What is the full length of the contract? This is not one of these deals where you're adding four years and you have what you would traditionally have after a player's third season if they're a first-round pick is you would have the fourth year at a very cheap number. You would have the fifth-year option at a somewhat cheap number, and then the big money contract will kick in. Well, there's no fifth-year option for Brown. So his salary this season is $4 million, but then after that, it's going to kick up to $25 million a season. So you're going to spread that out, and that allows you to what, – what, what, what would that be here? Let me see. It's about a $21 million difference, so spread that out over five years. So it allows you to kick maybe like $4 million a season off of this thing. So in, in actuality, it's going to be like a $20, $21 million a year. You're going to paying them over the next five seasons. Still a substantial number. Now, in a league where Christian Kirk, as a free agent, is getting $18 million, you know, bringing in A.J. Brown and paying him $21 million doesn't sound too bad. Um, but, of course, there is the trade compensation. And I, I have difficulty here on this one. I'd be more ambivalent when it comes from the Titans' perspective on this one than I would be if the same deal was accepted for Debo Samuel. I see A.J. Brown as a little bit on a different level than a Debo Samuel. You, His projectable skill, I think, and how he can work and how he can catch downfield a bit more. He's a bit faster. He's a little bit more of a traditional receiver. He's not doing this weird uh, hybrid role that Debo Samuel's doing. I don't think the same sort of deal is available to the 49ers that it's available here. And again, this is almost a godfather type of situation where you're talking about avoiding paying $25 million a year and getting a first and third round pick, two essential top 100 picks here, one of which they use on Traylon Burks, and I'll talk about that in a second. So it's tough to lose a player of this caliber at the same point in time. I, I don't know what the tipping point is for teams not willing to make a deal like this like if you just get a first round pick and not that extra third round pick is that really what's going to prevent a team like the titans from making this deal if you had a second round pick and not a first round pick as part of this would that be enough to prevent them to make the deal i think so but when you're getting those two things it's really really tough to pass up because if you look at the salaries here so the salary for first round picks um, according to spot track, let's let, let's figure out what it's going to be for that draft slot. So again, the 18th pick here, Traylon Burks. Remember, uh, Debo, I mean not Debo Samuel. Uh, AJ Brown's getting this 25 million dollars a year. Traylon Burks's full contract, four seasons, full contract, 14.4 million dollars. For the entire contract, the four years, that's $3.6 million per season for Burks versus $25 million on this extension. Again, it's more in reality like $21 million, adding in the rest of that there. Um, but still, $21 million versus $4 million, that is $15 million plus value that you can spend somewhere else. Now, you're going to hear this whole, you know, family guy thing like, oh, uh, do, you, do you want do you want the boat or do you want the mystery box? Oh, the mystery box could be, you know, oh, you never know what a mystery box could be. It could even be a boat or whatever the situation is. I don't watch Family Guy, but I see that gif uh, that gets shared out there or the video that gets shared out there. 
Again, let's not ignore the salary here. $17 million, you can get a lot more player in a few different areas. Um, so that's that's always the thing to keep in mind here. Now, Burks, he's not gonna, he's like AJ Brown Light. He's been comp to AJ Brown a lot, but he's not quite as athletic as Brown was. Brown ran in the four fours at a similar size. He does have good, um, really good wingspan and catch radius. So that could be interesting there. And if you think about what he's going to fall into from a fantasy perspective, he's been a player that's been on the decline for a while as someone who's the assumed wide receiver one early in the offseason. And again, even in this draft, he was the, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. He was a six wide receiver off the board here. So not even close to the wide receiver one, but going in the top 18 picks, which is a hit on his over under in the draft, which I believe is in the low 20s by the time this was all done. And going to a team that really has nothing at tight end. And then the one signing was bringing in Robert Woods in the offseason. And Woods, of course, is coming off of an ACL tear. And Woods is 30 years old, just turned 30 years old. So this is a big opportunity for Traylon Burks um, for the fantasy angle on here. He had fallen to best ball league somewhere in the wide receiver 40 sort of range. So I could see him jumping up into the 20s. By, by by the time we get to the beginning of the season on here. Um, but to go, to go bigger for these thematic angles on, on this trade here, and it goes somewhat with the Marquise Brown trade, but not as much. Outside of the Devontae Adams deal, which was a little bit of a unique situation because of the tie with Derek Carr there, we really are starting to see all of the big name wide receivers with big contract, well, not all of them, but a lot of them just shifting over to teams playing with quarterbacks on a rookie contract. You know, Jalen Hurts is making bupkis right now as a second round pick. He's making a couple million bucks. Not even that, I don't think. I think he's making one million right now. One million versus Ryan Tannehill. Let me see, what's Tannehill's cap number right now? So Tannehill's cap number, who's Tannehill been talked about a lot is them possibly replacing Tannehill because of the fact that his contract's going to bump up so much here. But Tannehill, again, $29 million base salary. There's some restructuring. There's some other stuff. $38.6 million cap hit versus Jalen Hurts is a million, a couple million on his on his cap hit for this year. It's huge. It's a huge deal. And with these godfather offers out there for wide receiver ones, it's almost prohibitive for a team that has one of those players to say i'm going to pay a quarterback like a top-notch quarterback and pay this wide receiver like a top-notch wide receiver knowing where what you could get in trade compensation so i i can't i can't be down on that now as far as the marquise brown trade this one i think is a slam dunk 360 slam dunk by eric DaCosta here Despite the fact that Lamar Jackson may not be happy, Rashad Bateman, their first-round pick from last year, hasn't shown a whole lot. They did not draft a receiver here in the first round. So unlike the Titans, who went immediately in to replace that player, um, they don't have that. But they do have Mark Andrews, who's really their their best player. And I think what the Ravens are doing here, which makes sense, is kind of let's let's lean a little bit more into your competency here with Lamar Jackson. Marquise Brown was just not going to be that guy. Now, let's remember, thinking back to 
the same draft that A.J. Brown was in. You know, Marquise Brown was the first wide receiver taken in that draft. It was in the 20s, but the first wide receiver taken in the draft that included Terry McLaurin, that included Debo Samuel, that included D.K. Metcalf, that included A.J. Brown. That included a ton of productive players here, and he just hasn't been that guy. Now, will he be more of that guy with the Cardinals? I'm not sure, but they do seem to be looking for someone to fill that that deep role since Andy Isabella as a second-round pick was quite a bust on there. But he had he, he did have the ability to get open sometimes down, down the field. What doesn't really make sense to me is – and I know it's like a switch of trades here. It's a, it's you get Marquise Brown and you get the a top hundred pick, the number hundred pick exactly for the number twenty three pick that the Ravens are picking up here. But considering the fact that Brown, while he's not going to get a new contract immediately, you know, I'm not sure you even green light with certainty the fact that you want a fifth year option on this guy. I mean, I guess so for wide receivers who are, you know, in the in the low teens, something like that, for what that fifth year option is going to be on their contract. But it's not a gimme. So you're all, you're really only going to get one season out of Marquise Brown here at a very low contract level. Then he's going to bump up on the fifth year option. Um, and then what are you going to do? Actually, I should check to see if the fifth year option is even picked up for Brown. I assume it was but I don't even know. Uh, no, the Cardinals will pick up his fifth-year option. So it mentions there that he's he's going to get it picked up here, which will be $13.4 million. So you do have a player for a couple of years at about $8 million in Marquise Brown, but that's probably about what he's worth, at least what he's shown so far in the NFL. There is some um, you know, asymmetric upside here to Brown for the fact that he's been playing with Lamar Jackson. So maybe we just don't know what he actually can do in more of a pass centric offense, but still giving up the first round pick, flipping it around, uh, getting that hundredth pick back. Good deal. Good deal. I would say for the Ravens, despite the fact that Lamar Jackson may not be that happy about it with Rashad Bateman there with Mark Andrews, uh, with the run centric offense. I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be okay there. So the trades are the first thing that I really needed to hit as part of this review and of what happened last night. Now, let's talk quarterbacks next. Sorry, I'm a quarterback guy. I'm a nerd. I like to talk about passers. So the over-under on quarterbacks that were going to go in the first round had moved from three and a half down to two and a half. It was about even money on each side. and. Malik Willis, his over-under, his draft over-under had gone from 10.5 down to 13.5. Kenny Pickett's had gone from 12.5 up down to 16.5. And And Pickett ends up being the first and only quarterback taken in the first round at 20. Malik Willis is still available. Um, Desmond Ritter is still available. Matt Corral is still available. Everybody is still available here, which is pretty crazy, honestly, if you think about some of this stuff here. Um, And I think the team draft specials are pretty interesting here. If you want to look at it, Malik Willis now, you have the Seahawks at plus 300 to take him, the Saints next, the Titans next, Detroit Lions next. That's kind of interesting there. Uh, I don't see them for other players, but... I think a sneaky one 
And this goes along with what we saw in the A.J. Brown trade here. A sneaky one is the the Eagles to maybe look at one of these quarterbacks, and that's one that I'm going to be looking out for here. Um, not that it'll necessarily happen, but you know the Eagles did bring in um, they did bring in Matt Corral for a visit the only quarterback they brought in for a visit they are picking at 51 now they've given up all this trade compensation already so i don't know if they're going to move up further but if corral is available at 51 let's remember they picked um hertz in the 50s 60s they seem like a team to me that is always going to be looking to upgrade at the position i know they have extra capital that they picked up in future years as part of the saints deal but you just don't know where you're going to be you're a team that's trying to compete somewhat this year. So I think that they are a sneaky team also to move up and to look for a quarterback just because you never know with Hertz. And this is going to be Hertz's third season here. This is a make or break season with Hertz. You want to have that option available going forward if it is a break for him rather than scrambling to figure out what you're going to do with the rookie next year. So I think that I think that's interesting. Um, the Willis hype. I, I'm not sure why he didn't end up going earlier. I thought that there was some legitimate backing to it. I warmed a little bit more and more to Willis as a prospect as we went through the cycle just because of the running ability more than anything else. Like if you just ran him like a Lamar Jackson, if that's your worst case scenario, I think he could produce not quite on a Lamar Jackson level, but somewhat close. Does he have the instincts that Lamar Jackson has? Probably not. Does he have the speed? Probably not. But he's pretty darn close. And he's a lot more solid um, as far as his weight, height, you know, BMI type of type of measure. So now he gets really interesting to me in the second round because you're not spending a, a ton of draft capital on him. And you see it again. Jalen Hurts is another example here of a guy where you draft him in the second round. You don't necessarily need them to be fantastic passers as long as you're willing to run them. And you should be more willing to do so when you have not invested as much uh, in a draft pick in that type of player. So he becomes a very interesting guy here, I feel like, at the, at the first half of the second round. And remember, the Seahawks have two picks here. They have the 40th and the 41st pick. So that's why I think they're going to be at the top of probably everyone's list of who's going to look for a quarterback here in the second round because they have those two picks there, the ammunition. They can even move up a little bit from one of those picks if they need to to possibly jump ahead of someone there. Uh, let's talk wide receivers. Now, Drake London goes first. As I mentioned, I think Traylon Burks is the biggest winner, but the whole Burks-London discussion just really focuses in on this thing where – like there is no downside, it seems, to just avoiding testing. These wide receivers, if you're a top guy, people love your tape. If there are any questions about what you're running. So for Burks, who ran a 4.55, who did the three cone, for what reason? I have no freaking clue. I think it was a 7.2 or something like that on the three cone, DK Metcalf-esque. Why are you running this stuff? I don't think you need to. London, again, did not test first overall wide receiver taken versus all of these other, other guys that happened. Now, if you go back to 2021, uh, Jalen Waddell did not test taken six overall. Devontae Smith did not test taken 10th overall. I don't think those guys were underdrafted. Do you think those guys were underdrafted? I don't think so. I don't think it's not like they fell because they did not test. Again, Evaluators that like you are going to impute good scores into good tape. Now, let's go a bit further here. 
uh, go back to the last draft. Uh, well, Rugs, yeah, he 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 definitely uh, tested and, and looked and looked pretty good there. Um, but if we go back even further to 2018, we were just talking about Marquise Brown did not test first wide receiver selected. I don't think there's really any evidence that testing helps you greatly other unless you're one of these mid-tier receivers who runs a four three and everyone gets excited and you start moving up boards i don't think there's much evidence that it helps you much as, as a top guy i think there's a lot of logical conclusion that you could make that if Traylon burks or dk metcalf did not test despite the fact that Metcalf ran such a fast 40, that they would have been drafted higher. And if Marquise Brown, Drake London, uh, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, if those guys did test, they would not have improved their situation. In fact, they could have hurt their situation if it didn't go through here. So just kind of more evidence now coming through, specifically with a hard draft position here for Drake London, that maybe these receivers should be not testing nearly as much as they are. Okay, let's go into the values and the values. I'll put quotes around the steals of the draft and guys who were reaches. Now, macro perspective here. Actually, you know what? Before I get to that, let's 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 get the, the last podcast ad read here, and that is for Manscaped. The only true quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Manscaped is draft. April's draft season, but also testicular testicular cancer awareness month. Manscaped is partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to men's health and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. Okay, so steals and reaches. Okay, let's remember quickly that there is a overarching macro point here that I've just that I've I've discussed before in this podcast, but probably needs to be reiterated here. We should logically be more confident that when a team is reaching for a player, and I'm going to define a reach here as the difference between where they're picked and where the player is ranked on consensus big boards. And I'm taking this from Arif Hassan's collection of dozens of big boards that he has over at, at the athletic you should check out that article um i'm more you're more confident that a reach is a reach than a steal or a player who falls that a that, that a team scoops up is actually a steal now why is that okay for a player to be a reach you only need one misvaluation and what we're talking about in either one of these circumstances is a player being misvalued, whether you're misvalued too high or misvalued too low. So for a reach to be misvalued too high, the player value too high, you only need one team to do that. And that's the team that selects that player. You don't need multiple teams to be off on this. You just need one player, one team to be off potentially. And again, for that player to be a value who looks like they're a reach, right? You need multiple teams to be off. 
So that's how you think about the values also. For a player who's a steal, for the player you say, oh man, this player went 15 spots past where they were supposed to go. Well, that means you needed 14 other teams to be wrong about them and that one team to be right to have gotten all of that value on that player. So much less likely you're going to have 10 teams be wrong than one team be wrong. And that's why reaches are more likely than steals. And what happens with the reaches, if a player's taken 25 spots too early, well, that value just proportionally flows down the draft chart to everyone else, and they get a little bit of incremental value. Each other team gets a little bit of incremental value by getting a player one selection getting one you know one selection earlier than you would have basically the player that you were looking for anyway okay so let's go to should we start positive or negative let's go to reach first and we heard it during the draft when Cole Strange from Chattanooga offensive guard was taken with the 29th pick by the New England Patriots his ranking on the big board, consensus big board, 76th overall. So a 47 pick differential here. And you may have heard this a lot last year, last night, but you know, the Rams are just sitting around drinking, having fun watching this thing because they don't have any picks, of course, F them picks. And this was their reaction to the Cole Strange pick when the Patriots made the selection. Really, really? Oh, my UT Chattanooga to the first round. Hey, where is... How about that? And we wasted our time watching him thinking he'd be at 104, maybe. (laughs) Now, of course, that clip will live in infamy of Sean McVay laughing about the fact that they were scouting this guy for their pick, because, you know, they, they don't pick until the end of round three at their pick at 104 and he went 29th overall now you know but the 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 shine is a little bit off of never question belichick but this is a very patriots thing to do the problem from my perspective is even if you're right that this guy is valued a little bit there has to be some game theory in the fact that someone else is not going to take him because not only is it a player who is commonly thought of as going at you know, at the earliest, the late second round, so a full round differential. But it's a guard. It's an interior offensive lineman, a position that's somewhat more replaceable. And first round, the amount that you're going to have to pay someone, I mean, it's not a ton of money, but the amount you're going to have to pay someone there, you're just not getting the juice. Guard is also a position, if you look at the top players in the league, and Jason Fitzgerald over at Over the Camp did a great study on this, where he tried to look at how often are the top paid players acquired via free agency. So in other words, how often can you get a top-notch roster-building type of player in free agency versus the draft? And interior offensive linemen are guys who top-end players can be acquired in free agency. So you're using your draft capital on a position that can be acquired in free agency, a position that has a little bit lower salary, so you're not getting as much surplus value. And the fifth round option prices and the franchise tag prices for offensive linemen are the same across the board. So you're going to be paying if you eventually do exercise the fifth round option on a guard that you drafted in the first round or a center you draft in the first round. You're going to be paying the same amount for their fifth-year option that you'd be paying for the left tackle that you drafted in the first round. You're going to be paying the same amount if it comes down to it. 
on a franchise tag that you would be paying on a left tackle that you're dra- that you drafted in the first round. And that's why these guys make it to free agency. It's because teams don't want to pick them. We saw Garrett Bradbury did not pick up the fifth year option on him just recently um, for the Minnesota Vikings. Teams do not want to pick up the fifth year option on these guys because you're not getting a value. You don't have much leverage there. You don't have much leverage on the franchise tag for interior offensive linemen as a team. So that's why these guys eventually hit free agency. So again, you know, Belichick is, is the Jedi master. The Patriots do this all the time. I get it. But if you are going to reach like that, God, I, I just like to see it on maybe a position that isn't also a position that you assume you bake into anytime you're taking an interior offensive lineman in the first round. You kind of bake in the fact that more likely than not, it's going to you're going to lose some value on that just from a positional value standpoint. Okay, after that, Quay Walker, Green Bay Packers, linebacker. Interesting here, too, because, again, you know, off-ball linebacker, not the much. We, we've heard, though, there was a lot of rumbling uh, from other PFF guys that Quay Walker was going to be a first-round pick. He was taken 22nd overall versus 51st on the consensus big board. So that's a 30-spot difference. I mean, a lot of what I had to say about Cole Strange and the Patriots applies to the Packers taking Quay Walker here. You're not getting the positional value here. And, you know, who are you who are you bidding against in this circumstance that you really need that player? I don't know. It's it's an interesting one, um, especially with the fact that they've invested in that position in the offseason uh, with some extensions. Number three for biggest reacher, Tyler Smith, offensive tackle, 24th overall versus 47th. Now, the fact that it is an offensive tackle, I don't mind nearly as much. I think Smith is a guy that there is a large disagreement of opinion on how good or how poor he is. So despite the fact that this is, you know, a round-ish sort of early here, positional value I think is okay. And I think there was a divergence of opinion there for this type of player. And when it comes to offensive tackle, left tackle specifically, um, you know, he's probably going to be playing left tackle, but left tackle specifically, he's probably going to be playing right tackle, that... You just can't get these guys in free agency. It's the opposite of the interior offensive linemen or, you know, the off-ball linebacker types. Like, you just cannot find these guys in free agency. So for that reason, it's a good place to apply some draft capital. Number four, Jahan Dotson to the Washington Commanders. Picked number 16. He was ranked 31st, so a 15 differential. Not that big of a deal. I don't, you know, I, I don't I don't love Dotson versus going with someone like Traylon Burks, who went a little bit later there, but maybe they like him better in that scheme. I do think it's a little bit interesting with the commanders because you have the investment in Wentz. You gave up some picks for Wentz. Last offseason, remember, you brought in Curtis Samuel. You have Terry McLaurin, so maybe this is like we're not going to re-sign Terry McLaurin, maybe, is a part here. We're going to explore more of the trade market for McLaurin could be part of this. And then, you know, in the third round last year, they got Diami Brown, who didn't do a lot as a rookie. So maybe you're not so high on him going into the season, but people liked him a lot. I think I, I liked him decently as an option who could stretch the field a bit, despite not having that big of speed. He was he's good at tracking the ball and stacking guys going going down the field. So you have all that. You have Logan Thomas at tight end. You have um, backs who are good receivers like J.D. McKissick. So you got a lot of options on that team there. So going right into wide receiver again, I know that they've been tied to that market and they've been pointed out to that. 
for me, it's not the biggest need. It's probably the worst landing spot from a perspective of can you be immediately successful as a rookie unless we see McLaurin get traded. And I mean, if they can get an A.J. Brown type of deal for him, maybe that will end up happening. More and more pressure is now going to be on them with this A.J. Brown deal happening. And then the, the rounding out the top five here for players who were the biggest reaches, according to the consensus big board, is Kenny Pickett, quarterback, taking 20th versus 32nd. I mean, he's a quarterback. That's how you explain that. That's that's how it ends up happening. Um, but what's interesting, of course, is that for the you know for the rest of quarterbacks here, now we're going to have guys who are actually going to look like values, which you don't really see that often at quarterback on big boards versus draft positions. So that shows you maybe these guys really do stink. Okay, so the biggest values according to the consensus big boards versus what happened in the actual NFL draft. Number one, Jermaine Johnson. He was picked 26 versus 11 on the big boards, a 15-place differential. Again, I do not believe in values nearly as much, steals nearly as much as reaches, but as an edge defender, I'll give it a thumbs up. George Karloftis, Kansas City Chiefs at 30 versus 18. Chiefs fans are very happy about this. Definitely something that they need some pass rush here, despite the fact that they've, you know, the corpse of Frank Clark, they still have running around out there on a restructured deal. Uh, they don't have Melvin Ingram anymore from last season. Bringing that in, uh, pairing it up with Chris Jones in the middle, and, you know, then figuring out they also got a cornerback, right, um, in the draft, which is a position that they lost in free agency let me see who else did they get in the draft it was a cornerback right yes a cornerback Trent McDuffie so good good draft for them to build around and I thought they might go receiver but I get it with the fact that they invested a little bit in Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and you still have Kelsey playing out there and you have Nicole Hardman who can you know run around so because you're bringing in veterans, maybe you don't want to necessarily throw a rookie that's not going to have a ton of opportunity into the mix there. I, I, I get it a bit. Uh, number three, Devin Lloyd of the Jacksonville Jaguars. 27, he's selected versus 16. Now, again, I don't believe in steals, and I don't believe in off-ball linebacker steals in particular. A lot of people like this, like this selection as if you know there's collective amnesia amongst the rest of the, the draft board many teams who need off-ball linebackers, but we're not willing to spend the capital to get them in that sort of range. You might not be getting the steal that you think you are at this at that point. Um, and the Jaguars, ah, man, like again, I don't want to do grading here for these different teams here, but Trayvon Walker is a very risky pick at number one. You're going to be paying him $11 million a season because of how high that salary is there. And then you get an off-ball linebacker as your next pick? I don't know, man. It's, it's a little rough. A little rough. You never know. Could be a great player, you know. But a eh, little, little rough there. And then the next... Oh, you know, I skipped Tyler Lindenbaum. Of course, he's the same steel uh as a center for the baltimore ravens he's ranked 14th in the big board he was one of the biggest rankings as far as being off from what his assumed draft position was goes 25th to the ravens now <clears throat> a lot of people are high on this ravens draft because of the fact that 
They got him and they got Kyle Hamilton, who again is going to show up here as being 10 spots difference. And if you think about Hamilton, the difference between his fourth ranking on the big board and his ranking was second on the big board. So second overall player, according to analyst big boards, just a couple of weeks ago, it had, it had moved slowly down to fourth versus 14th. That's really the biggest percentage differential. You know, if you're really getting the fourth best player in the draft at 14, that's more of a steal than getting the 30th best player in the draft. I'm sorry, the 18th best player in the draft at 30, like the Kansas City Chiefs did, according to this big board differential. And that's a huge, huge difference. But again, positional value is what's going to explain a lot of this. And they've invested a ton at the safety position because they also signed Marcus Williams from the Saints in the offseason. So they're going to have, you know, potentially one of the best back-end safety combinations there, along with Marlon Humphrey, all that that's going on there. But things could get a little dicey when it comes to figuring out Lamar Jackson's contract, everything else that's going to have to go on in that team. Uh, they delay having to worry about Marquise's Brown contract with the trade. They picked up dra draft capital. I love that move. Eh. I mean, I don't hate the safety center thing. I hate the center thing a little bit, honestly, um, for Linderbaum. But I don't hate Kyle Hamilton as much. But again, you are you're swimming upstream slight, at least slightly, when you're drafting players at positions that don't have positional value. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not we're going to strike you down. We're going to smite you down if you don't draft nothing but quarterbacks, wide receivers, left tackles, and uh, cornerbacks. But, you know, again, you're just, you're just swimming, sw swimming, swimming upstream slightly, which is not great. Um, who else is on here? Daxton Hill for the Bengals, the safety. He also falls in here again. It's a little bit of a positional value type of argument. So winners and losers. Let's talk winners and losers here. I mean, I'm going to have to – this is tough because I think some people are going to say that the Ravens are a big winner, but I think they've mitigated some of the win from their trade with how they ended up drafting here. Other than that, I'm going to say the Lions are – somewhat of a winner here. Jamison Williams at 12 could be the best receiver in the draft. You are not competing this year anyway. So if he's red shirting kind of for the season, looks pretty good. And you get Aiden Hutchinson at two and you can't really complain about that one there. You know, they ran the card in on that one. So I think that's, that's an interesting draft for them. Potentially you could put them as a bit of a winner there. I think the Kansas city chiefs getting Carl Loftus and getting uh, McDuffie, not, you know, the greatest thing that you could ever see a team do. They had to trade up to get uh, McDuffie, which I don't like, but at least they filled some decent positions there. A lot of people are going to say the Jets are a winner, and it, you know, it helps when you have a few picks, right? <laughs> like, like it helps when you're drafted three times in the round to look like you're a winner. Uh, but Garrett Wilson at 10 is not bad at all. He was seen as being the number one wide receiver on a lot of boards. Jermaine Johnson, again, is an edge player. He's old, but has some some definite skill there. He was seen as a huge value according to the board. And then getting Saucy, Sauce Gardner, um, for the fourth overall pick, a press corner. Eh, it's, it's, it can't argue. Can't argue with, with anything they've done there. And that's kind of the best case scenario when it comes to me and looking at these different positions. Uh, drafts that I don't necessarily like as much. Again, the Saints trade up again after having already traded into the first round. I thought they were going to go wide receiver. Offensive tackle was going to be their game plan. They were sitting there at 17. They could have gotten Traylon Burks. Um, they could have gotten – who else was left after that? 
I guess it's only Burks who went after that. So they, they could have gotten Burks or they could have taken someone who wasn't taken the first round, like a George Pickens um, or a Sky Moore or someone like that. I think I would have liked that a little bit better than going up and getting Olave, but I get it. They're high on Olave, but they're just a team that whenever they're high on someone, they're just dying to get rid of picks in order to get up and get them. So for that reason, normally I don't really like it. And Penning, I'm a little bit lower on Trevor Penning than some others because of the the penalties, really. I mean, I, I think sometimes we don't really think enough about how detrimental they are. This is a guy who got a handful of um, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. We've seen all the tape about how rough he is, and he just has a lot of holding penalties and a lot of um, pre-snap false start penalties, and those can really be killers for a team. Maybe he can clean that up. Um, I know they needed those two positions. I know they're high-value positions, but I'm kind of a little bit down on what the Saints did here. Okay, that's everything I got for round one. I don't want to go on for too long because I'm going to have to diagnose and discuss, I think, on Monday what goes on in day two and day three of the NFL draft. Rate, review the pod. I appreciate everyone listening in. And I'll be talking at you on Monday with all of the rest of the reaction for the 2022 NFL draft. Thanks so much, everybody. (laughs) 